Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. Welcome back to the LARCast. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Tony and I'm normally joined by my raspy voiced Southern co-host Russ for fresh weekly and though we don't promise anything, roughly half hour episodes. But today it's just me. And the reason for that is, I'm just going to be honest with you guys, Russ and his family, they're going through it right now a bit. As you all know, they live in Southern Florida and they are still dealing with the effects of Hurricane Ian. The damage to Russ's home was a bit more than initially understood. And so they have people in and out of their home this week trying to get it back to functional and good and buttoned up. So podcasting was just not an option for him this week. So instead of a fresh episode, you're going to get a conversation, Russ and I, recorded a while back on the number one categorical topic we get asked about here at Lark. It is this, just how short is Russ? Now, listen, come on. You know, I had to make fun of my bud when he's not here to defend himself. You know, I had to do that because that's how, you know, a man cares about another man. This is how men express their love for one another we bust balls we make fun okay this is love the most frequently asked question is not how short is russ that's the second most frequently asked question okay the most frequently asked question as you've probably already guessed are all in some form or another related to the issue the topic of grace And as you know, we talk a lot about grace here on the Lark cast. This is a podcast about the grace of God, the 200 proof grace of God, straight, no chaser, right? Um, So that's usually the questions we get are around, around that. And so because of that, we thought it would be good um, with a bit of an off week and with Russ being out to kind of reintroduce some stuff that we've already put out there about this. So without further ado, here's Russ and I having a previously recorded conversation about some of the questions we get and the misconceptions of grace and joy. So we just thought, Hey man, for this episode, let's, let's take this question on. Yeah. If all we have to do is just confess our death and simply believe in Jesus, then what about, Christian living, spiritual disciplines, pursuing holiness. What about neighboring? What about, you know, being salt and light? Why bother? If every, if the whole, if if all things are reconciled, then why bother being good and loving and moral? Why not just go out and just live a a selfish life? Why, Why not go out and, and sin all we like? And this has long been the knock on anyone who has seriously declared or shared right? Right. Scandalous grace, grace in a scandalous way, or grace with no fine print that God justifies the ungodly 
not rewards the godly, but justifies the ungodly apart from any religious exertion. And this was the knock of, of Paul. Paul was accused of this and he even attempted to speak to it a couple of yeah. times. Uh, the whole Romans six, one, right. Mm-hmm. Um, shall we continue in sin that grace might increase? A lot of people don't know that Paul's being very satirical in his response uh, there. And they accused yeah. Jesus of the same thing, right? Oh, yeah. Even in his trial, even in like times when they would try to accuse him of blasphemy, they're like, he speaks against Moses and the temple. Yeah. And what they mean there is right. You're speaking against the law. You're being soft on the law. You're being soft when it comes to God's holiness. And just, you know, to be clear for those listening in, um, who might be kicking the tires of Christianity and wondering, what do we mean by law? In the scriptures, um, law would be a reference to what God has declared okay, to man, to mankind, um, in regards to what is good, what is right, okay, what is, what is holy. Like he, in a sense, he reveals his, his nature and, and paints this picture of, I think of it like harmony on earth, mm-hmm. okay, heaven on earth. Um, he declares like murder and stealing and adultery, right? Like these things aren't good. If you practice these things, life's not going to go well for you, mm-hmm. right? You, you're going to have all sorts of issues relationally, wreckage, hurts that you're going to be caused, right? All these things. So there's no harmony in it. And so out of, out of his love for us, he tells us like, hey, here's how, here's how you really live best together with each other and with me. Don't put other gods in front of me. I promise you, if you start worshiping other things, they're only going to let you down because nothing else can deliver what you ultimately long for mm-hmm. other than me, the one who made you. All right. So that's what we mean when we say law. And the scriptures say that it's good. Jesus himself said it's good. He said, I didn't come to remove one dot of this, just to be clear. So his, his life for our life his death for our death. That's not a removal of the law. It's not a suspension of the law. Grace is not saying like, what is good somehow no longer stands or isn't needed. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that's important to make that known. And of course we find this law in the scriptures, which written down, God gives mm-hmm. it to Moses, right? Moses writes it down and comes to us. Um, but we also find in the scriptures uh, that this law is written on our hearts. It's why people all over the world who have never even read the Bible kind of hold to the same sort of like convictions in a lot of ways. There's this thing in us that's like, this isn't good. Yeah. yeah. So, the, so again, the Bible says that that law is not just written in the, in the Bible. It's written on the human heart. It's built um, into the world. It's built into who we are. Right. Yeah. Like feeding babies to crocodiles is just generally frowned upon anywhere you go for a reason. Yeah. There's just this thing in us. It's like, no, this, this isn't good there. All right, so right there, that's the law. And Jesus was accused of like speaking against it mm-hmm. by declaring uh, God's love for the broken world, mm-hmm. by declaring that our brokenness is not a means of, of uh, God not being able to be near us, that our brokenness was not something that would separate us from him, that the evil in the world was not something that he couldn't overcome. Um, when he starts to unveil this and, and show his unconditional grace for people who are willing to accept their acceptance. Um, 
he was being accused of speaking against the law to the point where they're like, we have to murder him. He's undoing this religion that will make the world a better place. Yeah. So in a sense, it's almost like if you go on and share what Jesus actually said, if you bring the unadulterated, okay, view of what he declares, um, you will oftentimes be basically hit with the same uh, accusation that Jesus was and Paul was. So. No, yeah, totally. And, and I think, you know, that is, that is the accusation. This is, um, this is cheap grace. Um, yeah. It um, is easy believism. Um, it leads to the like technical term is antinomianism anti-nomos law like anti-law or licentiousness right which is like a it's a means for license to do any old sinful selfish and lazy thing you want to do or my favorite is like um it's been uh, it's been said to lead to something called a ghostly faith which is a faith that just lives in the ether right and never translates into being the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. We don't need a ghostly faith. We need, we need a faith with flesh and blood and bones, right? Yeah. We need to actually embody this, you know, in, in the world. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, the Jesus thing and the law thing, because I think what's crazy is like the crew that had the hardest time um, grabbing onto what Jesus was saying was the crew that loved the law the most. Yes, and they loved they loved it so much that they keep they kept adding to it. Yes, and they kept adding to it in this ongoing conversation of the law that all the theologians and lawyers were having of the day, the constant interpretation of it, the obsession with keeping it, ensuring that we're fulfilling it and embodying yeah. it. And in fact, Jesus loved the law, right? And he knew it was good. So much so that he was committed to helping them truly see what the law was saying. And, and Jesus in his love for humanity um, brought the full force of the law. Yeah. To show us that, Hey guys, this thing, um, which yes, is from God and, and he is good and shows us harmony and, and maybe even give us some warnings, right. As to, Maybe help us avoid some danger in life, right? If we want to, we want to avoid some danger. Maybe live this way and don't live this other way. Yeah, it's good. The problem is, is uh, you guys aren't good. Yeah, I think that's just, I think that's the thing that that we miss. Like left, right, and middle has been my experience. It's it's like this unending obsession with trying to turn Christianity into this almost like morality in action. Mm-hmm. And so we're totally missing the point that you just made that Jesus is making to the crowd that loves the law more than anyone Mm -hmm. is yes, this is good. It is beautiful. It is perfect harmony. The problem is you're not good. The disease of self-reliance, this thing called sin, it runs in your veins. You are, you are on a constant endless bender. (laughs) <laughs> on this drug of trying to prove that you're worthy, that yeah. you're enough, mm-hmm. that you're good. And in so doing completely missing the acceptance of the very one that made you, that then leads to, right? 
the harmony that you crave. And I, I think you're right, dude. Like they kept missing it, but I think we keep missing it. As soon as you said that, it was like a light bulb went off for me. I'm like, man, there's, we're constantly trying to return what Jesus says to the realm of the possible. Yeah. Right. All of his teachings, we're constantly taking them and trying to drag them into the realm of the possible. Not realizing that he's been made it known. You're not good. The law is, and I'm not, I'm not going through the sermon on the Mount here to make it easier for you to see or to really show the full nature of what it is so that you can get it right. I'm unveiling what it really demands so that you'll give up. And turn to him (laughs) who is life. Yes. (laughs) That you'll come back to this very life of dependence that you were made for. That's where freedom's found. It's found in space dependence. And I agree with you, man. He definitely does this out of his love for us. But yeah, so he's go ahead. ahead. Well, no, he's yeah. I mean, he's 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 bringing the full force of the law so that we can put down, um, put down the exhausting work of of trying to find harmony, peace, goodness, and joy in what we do. And to find it in the one in the one in whom made us and gives good gifts, the best of which was his son. And so the law, um, the last and final use of the law, I would say the most important use of the law is to bring us to this point where we realize, man, I need him. I need a savior. I need rescue. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. First Corinthians. What is it? Chapter nine. It literally says it like gives a description of the law. Like, like here's its, here's its purpose. Okay. Paul refers to it as the ministry of death, (laughs) the ministry of condemnation. So ministry is a good, I always thought was a staff position that should be at in churches, by the way. (laughs) Well, what's your, what's your ministry youth? Are you youth? Are you, are you guest services? Oh, counseling? No, just death, death. Yep. Yeah, uh, God, God gifted me with the ministry of condemnation. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think what we find in the scriptures is like there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because those who live and dwell in him, right, live and, live and dwell within the one who fulfilled all of this, the one who is our very life. That's the beauty of the gospel, the good news, this act of grace, by the way. Um, but the law does condemn. Okay, because it just naturally shows you what is good and perfect and holy. And you can't help but look at that like a mirror and realize, man, that's not me. And even if I try to really wrestle that out in my flesh, my heart and my mind are never really there, man. Like you might not yell at your neighbor or give the bird to the dude that cut you off, but you do think about it. And that's kind of what Jesus unveils, right? Like in the Sermon on the Mount is... He's just sort of like showing us like the beauty of, of this picture of harmony. He's not removing it. He's just ultimately moving us to the understanding that because we are weak, he's not making this law a means of our acceptance. He's just making his love for us the means of our acceptance. 
Yeah. And then through his death and resurrection, he brings that reality to, to be. Yeah. And I think that is literally by definition grace. Yeah. That is God's grace. And we work against the ministry of the Trinity, like God himself in the world. When we try to soften the law, when we take be holy as your heavenly father is holy. And we turn that into, uh, just try your best. Yeah. Uh, six out of 10, make sure you're up and to the right, you know, yep. just a slow trajectory, you know, just make sure you're, you're up there or Hey, sell what you own and give it all to the poor. Ah, contribute what you reasonably can give yep. the equivalent of a, a cup of Starbucks each yep. day. You fit it yep. into your budget. This is very easy. Fit it into your budget. And we're always, we're always, what we're doing is we're dumbing the law down. We're bringing it down to this place, right? Where it demands less so that we can jump on it and convince ourselves that we're really not that bad. We're actually pretty good. Jesus yep. is off in the distance, giving us a golf clap instead of on the cross dying as our savior. Yes. Yes. And I think what we don't realize is that while we read the scriptures and we point our fingers at the Pharisees and say, man, how could they? We don't realize that we're in the same boat oftentimes of doing exactly what they did because they did what you just said. These are guys who couldn't keep the 10 commandments. And so they added hundreds to it. Yeah. Right. It's no different than like our society today. We have a very simple law structure that was put in place, right, with the founding of America with the Constitution. That is actually the highest law on the land. Um, a lot of people don't realize that. And it's pretty simple. It's just really designed to protect the freedom, the God-given freedom that every person already has. But because we can't do it, what do we do? Because we can't keep the 10, we now have like 10,000 laws in the books. Mm -hmm. Because with every single move, we have to keep trying to find some way to make this thing work to fix people and, and, and drag us into the realm of the possibility of being good mm -hmm. instead of realizing the beauty of we're not, and that's okay because our acceptance isn't based on this. And so just like the Pharisees, we do what you just said. We dumb down what the scriptures actually say to help people be able to find some platform they can stand on while we're pointing our finger at other people and saying, be careful with grace, man, be careful with grace. And I'm like, we're doing exactly what the Pharisees did. Right. Which when you get down to the core of it, for me, it starts to make sense. Like, Oh dude, we like them and others for some reason are just unwilling to let go, to die to this whole project of self right? That Jesus has invited us to do. And because of that, we find ways to create Christian teachings and understandings and, and create tools and tips, right? To help people manage progress and move forward. It's not perfection. It's progress. That's what I always heard from people. It's not about perfection, just, just progress. And so we do this, man, constantly in this pursuit of like helping people become, as we've said before, become the kind of people that Jesus would never have to die for in the first place. Yeah. And we warn people about grace and, and, and act like we're doing what's right. And meanwhile, we're 100% guilty of doing exactly what the Pharisees did. Hmm. Minimizing 
human nature, maximizing human ability Mm -hmm. for a world that doesn't want to die. And so we're trying to help people find some way to follow Jesus without having to die. And yet Jesus plainly says, you see that cross there? You see the end of you, the end. Yeah. That's what, that's what it means to follow me. Take up your electric chair and follow me. Find life in my life. Yeah. And it's like, dude, we're like, we're 100% doing what they did and calling it good. Yeah. It's like, we're so afraid that grace is going to lead to, you know, kicking dogs and cheating on your spouse and your taxes when the, the real barrier that we see in the new Testament and the ministry of Jesus are those are the ones who are dialed in on good. They were the most resistant to Jesus. And you wonder, you know, it's, it's, I get it because, because I think God has built into us like this, a sense of right and wrong. And we know good is good. And we know bad is bad. When someone points at a finger at something and says, that's going to lead to bad things. I think you're immediately going to be like, oh crap. Okay. I need to listen to that. Right. And so when people accuse grace of leading to something bad, you can get tricked into giving more credence to that thing than you probably ought to and not realizing that maybe they're so angry with grace because it's actually dismantling their towers of self-righteousness. It's dismantling their very foundation. And I mean, I mean, come to think of it, like, like why, why was it so impossible to watch some of these religious leaders actually kind of act on what they really knew was true in the quietness of their thoughts? That man, I think mm. this dude is from God, like a, like a Nicodemus, like you see Nicodemus in the gospel of John, he's coming to first, he's coming to Jesus at night, right? He's asking questions and the cover of night, because why he can't do it out loud mm. because later on, after he has that, at that interaction at nighttime, he does say something out loud. That's kind of like, Hey man, maybe we should think about this. And, and they start, they point a finger at him. What you want to be his disciple too? And it wasn't a safe place. It wasn't their tribe. Wasn't a safe place to actually really truly consider Jesus. And then later on towards the end of John's gospel, we actually see him publicly identifying with the body of Jesus because he was with, um, you know, the person who was a part of his burial. So you see the, you see, you see Nicodemus's progression in the gospels, but why was it such a hard thing for them to make that shift. One, their tribe wasn't safe. Like you couldn't question out loud. You couldn't go against the narrative, right? Mm. Um, I think the other part too is like, dude, it's hard. It's hard to realize, man, you just been fed a lie and all the righteousness and holiness that you forced your way into and all the, all the guilt lane and, and sharing of condemnation and pressure you put on others to be like you. That's a hard pill to swallow. It really is a hard pill to swallow. So I wonder if the point, the finger pointing against grace really is the realization or maybe the anger that man, maybe God's not as hard on tax collectors, sinners, and prostitutes as I thought he would be on me. Yeah, dude, I would, I would fully agree. It's, 
they, us, back then, today, everything and everyone in between, we, I think there's this idea that being good is your need, okay? Mm -hmm. To be enough, to be good, to be right. That is your need. It is possible and it is pleasing to God. So there's this belief, right? And if that's, and if that's what we grab onto, then we've got to be able to point to our track record. We got to be able to point to what it is that we're doing now to move forward, what we're doing to progress. And the only time you're ever free of that is when you're dead. Now there is a physical death when we breathe no more, but there's also this death that Jesus refers to this dying to this whole myth that we bought. That's, that's where life's actually found. And you can't, as he said, you can't, uh, you can't be born again, man, apart from this. There's no, there's no resurrection without death. Mm -hmm. Right. But again, why are we petrified of that? Well, ultimately it just comes down to like, we just don't trust him like Adam and Eve. We're afraid that we're missing out our humanity, something to overcome. God can't be trusted. And so we run from it, man. And Jameson sent me this piece from Kruger yesterday, man, that just made me think about it. I would try to speak on it, but I'm never going to capture it nearly as well as he writes it. So I'll just read this from Kruger. He says that we are so inept. We don't know what is happening in this thing that we call life. Capitalizing on the outright strength of the father's exposing forgiveness, evil whispers to us all. I am not in our ears. And it seems the most obvious thing in the world right? When you think about it, of course, I am not worthy, not lovable, not acceptable. The proof is everywhere. How could God even look at me? Ashamed and hopeless, outgunned and trapped. We know we are doomed. We dare not face what this means. Rejection, abandonment, the abyss. The pain of it all is intolerable. And so we run. With all our might, we run. And why shouldn't we? What option do we really have? Off we go on a 30-year bender. We call it love. We call it uh, marriage and friendship. We call it work and vision. And even a burden for the lost and the helpless. Oof, bro. Now you're getting somewhere. We may even call it worship and obedience to the Lord. But it is our pain and our false God driving us to hide driving us to find something somewhere that gives us a moment's relief. Dude, your performance, your report card is one of the easiest ways to do that. Yeah. So you're going to reject indiscriminate grace because it gives no room for a scorecard. In fact, it says, ditch it. You're already free. You're already loved. You're already home. Yeah. You're already one with me. How would you like to go and learn what it means to live like this? That's the invitation of Jesus. That is the grace of God. But if you don't trust him, if you believe the whisper of the evil in your ear that you're not enough, well, then you have no choice but to be fearful of grace. Turn to whatever form of law you need, drag it into some realm of the possibility, and then do your best to stand on it. And then find a way to justify yourself using it against the people who are in and around you. 
which explains why we have all the different camps and why we're all divided from each other. At the end of the day, this whole report card, as Paul said, is literally in his words from the scriptures. I'm not actually cursing here. This is in the Bible. He called it a big steaming pile of shit. It's true. And there is freedom and joy in realizing that letting go and just saying, Jesus, my only hope, this is the grace of God. We're afraid of freedom because we can't control it. Yeah. And faith, faith moves us away from the realm of control and into the kingdom of God where he rules and he reigns and he gets things done the way he gets things done. Yeah. Which works the opposite of the way we think things should get done. Yes. It's very, the operation of the kingdom of God is very ineffective from a worldly perspective. And we're so afraid of freedom, but what if freedom actually gets us the things that we really, really want. And I'm, you know, where I'm going to go with this. I'm thinking of that couple that went through weekly. Hmm. Like we have to, we have to tell that story. Chapters one through five of Reclaim, if you're listening and you haven't grabbed it yet, really gets into all of what we're talking about, the nuances, all the various scriptures. Um, yeah, man, it's, I feel like it's good. You can go to Amazon if you haven't grabbed a copy yet or the website, Reclaim. <laughs> but, Reclaim, cop it. Um, dude, yeah, we had a couple, we've had lots of people, couples go through it, but we've had some couples who have like, really had some real serious moments of tension. One couple that literally really separated, through it. <laughs> yeah, separated while reading Reclaim 4, chapter 4. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was really dialed in, man, on her religious resume. That's all she knew. She was told this is what it means to follow Jesus. As Kruger said, she called it worship and obedience. And uh, her husband um, was not a believer in Jesus yet. And they were going through reclaim with some people. And while in chapter four, he started really coming alive with, man, this is what God's really like. And just, man, a lot of burdens started to fall off of him and a lot of joy started to be found and a faith was birthed. And while he was grabbing onto the good news of Jesus, she was having an absolute fit dude about the nature of God's grace in light of her report card. And they came to a head to the point where they literally separated, like literally got separated, dude, like almost the end of a marriage. And by a work of, of just, man, as you said, God doing what he does in ways that we don't understand. Uh, she decided to continue to, to, to seek him and press in and continue to go through like the scriptures that are, that are in reclaim. And, and she too found a new, a new life, man, a free, like she actually discovered the freedom and rest Jesus promised for the first time mm. after 40 years of following him and, and they're together and, uh, and dude, they're, they're helping other people, man. They're literally yeah. guiding other people to the Lark of grace now together. But part <laughs> of her fear as she was going through reclaim was like, dude, th- this is going to just give permission to my husband who I really want him to like follow Jesus. What she didn't know she meant by follow Jesus was follow the rules. 
Yes. Right. Not actually like come to be Trust in awe Jesus, of a person. Right? <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? And like, just cast yourself wholly on him and yeah. solely on him. Um, follow the rules like she had her entire life. So she's reading this thing thinking, oh man, like this is just going to like give my husband permission to just double down yeah. and dig his heels in. And it actually does the freaking opposite. Yeah. It actually enlivens the heart. Um, the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. It's the freedom that the, that the Lord brings that really just throws off all the ought tos, shoulds, have tos and all that. And, and frees us to not be so dialed in on ourself and our resume and our scorekeeping and our ascension and our progress to where we actually can fall in love with the one who's reconciled all things and declared it as finished and actually make us stop looking at ourselves and around at the people, you know, around to the people around us. Um, And so, man, I just, I love that, man. And it's like just a few junk drawer things, dude. Like, you know, you hear this idea of like abusing grace, you know, like, man, if you just preach grace, like people are going to abuse, you know, grace. And we found the opposite. When it's like, well, yeah, for sure. But, you know, I think it's true. Like people are going to abuse grace. There's two kinds of people in this world, dude. I think people who are just going to do whatever the heck they want. And people who are looking for permission. And anytime they find permission or some way to justify their selfish behavior, they're going to do it. If they can find that permission in the Bible, awesome. If they can find that permission in the gospel, they're going to do it. So are there people in this world that abuse grace? Yeah, there are. Just like there's people in this world that abuse chocolate prescription drugs and the niceness of their grandmothers. You know what I'm saying? But are we going to conclude from that? that the problem is with grace. Does that make grace untrue? Right. I think that's you know the what key, I'm saying? Man, it doesn't make it untrue. And I think that's what we have to stop and just, and just consider. I mean, at the end of the day, dude, everybody's been free to do whatever they damn well, please. Since the beginning. Yeah, we're the free. Message, he made yeah, us that way. The news of what God has done to reconcile the world again his grace doesn't, doesn't change that. So we, I think we just, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a constant pushback, but it, it has no weight. I've used it myself to be clear for years. Totally. Until I realized, you know, man, this, this holds no, no weight, you know, like, you know, does grace encourage people to water down all the rules and, you know, will it, will it go that way? And I'm like, dude, with every act against what is good, people become less human. You actually become less human, okay? You fail to really fully live into what God created you to live into. So his grace is not in any way like watering down or encouraging or empowering us to be less human. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, what is good still stands. And what is grace, right, still stands too. The law hasn't been removed. It's just no longer a means for our acceptance because we can never keep it. We never will. Yeah. And I think that's why, right. And that's why, that's why Martin Luther referred to it as a drama put on in an empty theater because the law is so ingrained in this world and it's so ingrained in our hearts. Like even the, even the person who feels like they're the most free or even the most like, you know, irreligious person, 
that you can think of. Uh, listen to how they talk. Listen to the what they live by. There's lots of oh, oughts dude. and shoulds. Yeah. If you want to hear the voice of the law, listen for the oughts and the shoulds. Yep. Ought to. We should be doing this, yep. right? That's that's kind of like that lowercase L law, that voice, that echo of the law. And no one's ever free of that. Ever. And so this no, this whole this whole point that like, okay, well, grace is gonna make you anti-law or no law. And it's like, dude, you really just don't get how pervasive, right? This inner winner is in us. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You don't get how pervasive it is. And you really don't get how deeply built into our world and our lives and our hearts um, the law is and our desire to be good. Yep. We could almost do a whole other podcast on misconceptions of, of grace because I think people think grace is, it's a substance. Like, it's almost like, imagine kind of like God in a, you know, his little heavenly quarters and he has all his little jars set up, you know, and grace is over here in this little, little jar. It's got a lid on it. It's labeled grace, you know, inside this little grace dust, you know, and uh, we think of grace sometimes as like, oh, he's called us to a really hard task. And so he dips into his grace jar, sprinkles a little bit of it on our heads and gives us the strength right? To go and accomplish, you know, that thing. And that's pretty much God. He kind of, he died for us. And so he expects us to kind of, you know, have this kind of like, you know, response and this kind of like, almost like a debtor's ethic a little bit like, Hey man, he gave his life for me. So I'm going to give my life for him. So I'm out here doing all this stuff and he's sprinkling this grace and giving us the strength to, to live this life he expects from us now. And in the moments when we fail, right? There's this massive gap in our holiness. So then he dips into the jar and grabs like a handful, right? And of course he has a lot of it because it's God. He's got a lot of grace. So he dips into the jar and he just slaps it on that little gap there and fills in the gap of our holiness. And I feel like that's how people treat. They think grace is like this substance that God dips in, right? They don't realize that we're in the freaking jar, dude. Like the jar is the atmosphere, like it is the absolute culture. Like it is, it is the, it's terms. the universe it is the reality. Yeah. Yeah. It is reality. That's the best way to put it. It is the air you breathe. <laughs> right. Right. And we're all existing in it because this is him in whom we dwell. The one in whom we exist in. Yeah. Uh, I love that dude. It's because it is easy sometimes to think of grace as like a bandaid, right? Like, oh, you, 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 you did that and got, got hurt. Well, here, let me put this bandaid on it and we're going to, it'll heal up and we'll call this uh, forgiveness, grace, if you will. And let's, let's try to, you know, be different going forward. And it's just, it's a total misunderstanding of what grace actually is. Yeah. It's a great point, yeah. man. Good stuff, man. All right. Well, yeah. I think, uh, man, this, uh, this new little stretch of podcast is off to a good start i would agree man we got a bunch of questions we're gonna be unpacking and Ooh, we got uh, some good ones man we got some good ones i'm glad we kicked <laughs> off with this one so yep. until next time until next time my Cheers. brothers. cheers <laughs>